Good morning, Calvary. I want to begin by saying happy Mother's Day to all the ladies in the room. Um, we had, in my opinion, the most epic Mother's Day video of all time for y'all. But unfortunately, the, the uh, video isn't working today. It actually wasn't the most epic, but it was a really good video, though. Uh, in all seriousness, I hope that everybody's had a, had a great day uh, thus far. I hope all the brothers in the room have taken some time to do a little extra. I might brag on myself this morning. My wife woke up, and uh, there was uh, pancakes, blueberry, buttermilk pancakes, uh, some uh, broccoli, um, not broccoli, a uh, hash brown casserole that I had made sure I prepared for her. I didn't cook it, but I went and bought it. It took it, took it off her plate this morning, which is a blessing. Amen. Um, want to also, really serious now, I want to highlight uh, Brother Dan's uh, surgery. Uh, Dan had open heart surgery on Friday, and uh, praise God, everything went very successful. Um, after service, uh, you will have an opportunity to write them a personal note in the card. Melanie, uh, to the back left, is handling that. Uh, we have a ministry here at the church called Calvary Cares. We want to give personal notes, but also, uh, he has a really, really long uh, extended recovery, probably be about 10 weeks, so we want to do a meal train. We want to try to um, help out around the house. We want to make sure uh, that we come alongside them. Um, not only did he have open-heart surgery, they also have a five-week-old baby. So we want to make sure that they are loved well and encouraged well because um, it's it's one thing to go through something, and it's another thing to go through it by yourself. And as a church body, we don't ever want a member of our body uh, to have to go through something, something by themselves. Amen? And also, too, with um, the, the AC not working that great, the the screens are not working that great, but praise God, we're moving soon. So I, I, I told somebody in the back, I said, the, the Lord is just reminding us that uh, we need to be thankful and appreciative of what we're going to have in a couple months. Um, we're still praying that we will be at the new location in July, um, but probably in the middle of June we'll have a better idea. Um, if you guys drive by there, they have the roof on. Uh, they roughed in the plumbing, the electrical, so hopefully they'll do some, do some sheetrock this week and uh, we'll be able to move um, ASAP. This morning, I want us to turn our attention to the second epistle to Timothy, Second Timothy, and we're going to be in verse, uh, chapter number one. I'm going to read verses one through nine. Second Timothy, chapter number one, going to begin reading in verse number one. Verse 1 simply declares, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from, from God and the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as, my, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears... I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remember you, I remind you to fan into the flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us, uh, for God uh, gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and, a, and of self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. 
but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Uh, just for a few moments this morning, I want to share uh, from the subject title, Guarding a Godly Deposit. I want to talk about guarding a godly deposit. Let me pray for us. Father, it is always a privilege to be able to open up your word. God, I thank you as we celebrate Mother's Day, God, that we can go to a passage that highlights the spiritual deposits that two mothers made, a grandmother and a mother. God, we do know that today is hard for some people. God, but because today is a reminder that some people no longer have their biological mother living with them. God, for those people, we pray peace and comfort today. God, there may be some here who are struggling because maybe they didn't have a good relationship with their mom. Maybe there's some hurt that's still there. And I pray, God, that you would give that person healing and peace. And God, as we get into your word this morning, I pray specifically that you would show us how wonderful and how excellent the deposit that you have made in our life is. God, help us to take it seriously. And God, help us to see how that deposit can transform our lives. It's in Christ's name I pray and give thanks. Amen. In the banking industry, it has been said that the greater the deposit, the greater the need for guarding the deposit. Uh, in a perfect world, we would not uh, need to guard our deposits. In a perfect world, we would not need to place uh, locks on our doors. We would not need to uh, place our money in a bank. But we do not live in what we would consider a perfect world. We live in a world where there are thieves and there are robbers. We live in a world where there are people who are takers, where people are looking for an opportunity to take advantage of something that is unguarded, especially something financial that has been deposited. Because of the world we live in, banks have concluded that it is absolutely essential to guard what has been uh, deposited. According to a 2017 article in Forbes magazine, last year, U.S. banks spent $20.2 billion on internet security. Say it again. Banks spent $20.2 billion just on cybersecurity. That does not count uh, the armed guards who take the money. That does not count uh, the vaults that hold the money. $20.2 billion just on cybersecurity alone in one year. If we understand how the world values securing a deposit, how much more should you and I understand that it is important for us to guard the spiritual deposits that have been made in our lives? Uh, if I were to ask the question, uh, what is more important, uh, your spiritual health or your financial health? I'm sure that everyone under the sound of my voice would say that my spiritual health is more important. But if I ask you another question, uh, are you as vigilant, are you as consistent, are you as intentional in guarding your spiritual deposits as you are in guarding your physical deposits? 
Uh, I, I don't know about you, but I'm constantly making sure that my finances are in order. I'm constantly making sure uh, that what I have deposited has been made safe. That's probably TMI, but each morning I get a text message and an email with what is in our personal accounts. I also get a text message anytime that a card is swiped in my household. Sometimes I can be at, at work and I see a, a Starbucks charge and I, I just text Avita and ask her, how, how's, that, how's that a latte today? <laughs> Not that I'm, she can spend whatever she needs to. I'm just saying there must be accountability in what we spend. I, I say that jokingly, but here's the truth. Like, are we that consistent in guarding what the Lord has deposited into our lives? Are we that intentional when it comes to what the Lord has placed in our lives? I love our text because the Apostle Paul is reminding his son in the ministry of the importance of the spiritual deposits that the Lord has placed in his life. Uh, even before uh, 2 Timothy uh, chapter number 2 is written, Jesus also addresses the idea of guarding what the Lord deposits in our life. If you were to go to Matthew chapter number 1, uh, Matthew 13 chapter number 1, it simply says, the same day Jesus went out uh, of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds came about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And while the whole crowd stood on the beach, he told them many things in parables, saying, a sower went out to sow, and he sowed, and some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came to devour them. It's a picture of any time the Lord gives us a word, any time the, anytime the Lord deposits something in our life, uh, the scriptures will tell us, or uh, specifically Jesus tells us through the parable, that Satan comes in to try to devour what we have been given. Any time whether it's in church or your quiet time or through a relationship with somebody else in a small group, anytime you receive a word from God, anytime you receive encouragement from Christ, Satan will try his best to devour it. He will try to steal the godly deposit that the Lord has placed in your life. Last week in our sermon, uh, we talked about how the Apostle Paul uh, had a desire to minister in Rome. And this week, uh, when we think about the second, and we think about Second Timothy, we must understand that Paul has gotten to Rome, and Paul is ministering to at, in Rome. But Paul is ministering to Rome or in Rome in a way that he had not expected. When when this when Second Timothy is written, Paul is actually in a prison cell. Uh, he wanted to go uh, to Rome to preach, but by God's providence, the Lord allowed him to minister in a prison cell. Paul is writing the epistle in a dungeon. Paul is actually about to face death. And as Paul is about to face death, as Paul uh, is at the end of his life, Paul begins to speak about uh, what is most important. He begins to give uh, some encouragement to his son in the ministry, uh, Timothy. Uh, I love the passage because as Paul is facing death in the face, it did not bring anxiety. It actually brought clarity to his life. As Paul was facing death, uh, he, he reminds himself and he reminds his son in the ministry of what's most important. I, I love it because at the end of his life, he's writing to Timothy and he writes about the impact of a mother and a grandmother. When I think about uh, these two women in our text, I can see how even I can do a better job of highlighting 
of the impact that women have made, not just uh, throughout church history, but actually even in our church today. I want to say something that's very important. It's near and dear to my heart. Just because the church universal has missed opportunities to celebrate God working through women, that does not mean that God does not value women, and that does not mean that we should ignore the contribution that women have made uh, to the universal church and actually our local church. When you read the text, it is a celebration of two women. It is, you see the, the impact of two mothers. You see uh, the impact of how a mother's faith and a grandmother's faith could impact their sons and their grandsons. Because of his mother's faith and his grandmother's faith, in the text, the Apostle Paul recognized that something had been deposited into the life of Timothy. I love it because even before the Apostle Paul entered his life, the Lord had deposited something in his life by way of his mother and his grandmother. Because of the great deposit, because of the significance of the gift that he had been given, uh, Paul takes a moment and he says, Timothy, my son in the ministry, what you have been given is far too important for you to neglect. So he says very clearly, you must guard what has been deposited. When I look at the text, there are three significant points that I see uh, that, that tell us why we need to guard the deposit. And the first thing we see is, first, the deposit needed to be guarded because the deposit that was placed in his life brought comfort to other people. Go back with me to verse number three. It's, it clearly says, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience. As I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Paul was not only thankful for Timothy, he was also willing to be prayerful for Timothy. Uh, one of my favorite commentators says this way. He says, a sincere thankfulness should always lead to earnest prayerfulness. Uh, in the text, Paul specifically mentioned that Timothy possessed uh, what he described as sincere faith. If it is possible to have sincere faith, it's also, both, uh, it's also possible to have what we would consider insincere faith. Uh, insincere faith is faith that is marked by lips that honor the Lord, but a heart that is far from the Lord. Uh, insincere faith is, it is faith that is shallow rather than deep. Uh, insincere faith is, it, it focuses on self rather than focusing on the Savior. Uh, when you look at the text, what made Timothy's faith sincere, what made his grandmother's faith sincere, what made his mother's faith sincere was that it was focused and it was centered on Christ. We know that his faith was sincere because it dwelt and it remained. If you were to continue reading the book of Timothy, or 2 Timothy, you will clearly see that the epistle reminds us that we are not only in Christ, catch this, but Christ is also in us. If you continue reading, the theme is we are in Christ, but secondly, Christ is in us. This word should be encouraging to all of us because it is a reminder that we are the dwelling place of the Lord. 
that the Lord does not exist or he does not dwell in buildings. He does not dwell in brick and mortar. He dwells inside of his people. That's why Romans 8.9 Romans 8, 9 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. He's essentially saying, if you do not have the Holy Spirit indwelling your life, you are not a Christian. The Holy Spirit is not something or not someone uh, that comes to the super spiritual Christians. The Holy Spirit is deposited into everyone who believes. If you do not have the spirit, you do not have eternal life. Uh, the scriptures remind us, or there, there's the scripture remind us, but also uh, one of my favorite uh, theologians and writers, C.S. Lewis, takes this principle and he kind of makes it uh, a little bit clearer for us. Um, there's a quote that he says, well, there's a quote that he gives after he came to Christ, and he says, uh, When Christ came into his life, it was as if he came in to renovate the house. He said, in his mind, he thought God was coming to just. Uh, fix fix a couple leaks. God was coming to fix a couple drains. He knew that there were certain areas that God needed to fix. But the more God began to dwell in his life, the more things began to be fixed and addressed that he was not expecting. Uh, he got to a point in his life where he began to see that the, the, the more Christ began to dwell, the more Christ began to work. There was some pain involved. Uh, there was some there were some walls that needed to be knocked down. Uh, there were some rooms that needed to be expanded. There were some rooms that needed to be shrunk. He began to see how the Lord began to address his foundation. And the more the Lord worked, uh, the more the Lord changed things, the more the, the more the Lord chiseled at his life, the more pain it caused his life. But as he continued to live, as he continued to grow, he came to a place in his life where he concluded that God was not simply wanting to renovate his house, but God wanted to demolish and destroy the old house to build a new mansion. God wanted to totally transform his life uh, to, to build something he could have never dreamed of. And he said it caused him a lot of pain, but after the pain, there was significant purpose in his life. In the text, uh, Paul is telling us very clearly that, that he gives great comfort by the fact that his son of the ministry is allowing Christ to dwell in his life. One of my favorite passages is found in 3 John chapter number 1, verse number 4. It says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. The reason why Paul had joy, the reason why Paul was excited was because his son in the ministry was walking in truth. I'm getting a little bit older now, and I'm beginning to pray for my kids differently. I remember when we first had our, our kids, we used to just pray for them that they would, you know, that they would sleep through the night. <laughs> you know, praying for, for Titus that he would be potty trained. You know, we just praying those simple, small prayers. But now we're beginning to pray differently. Now we're beginning to pray that one day they will come to know Jesus. That one day they will find their identity in Christ. We're getting, beginning to pray for their spouses. We're beginning to pray for their community. We're, getting, we're really beginning to pray that our children will one day walk in the truth and that our children will one day allow Christ to dwell in their lives. I, I know my kids are going to be successful. They're all smart. I know that they're going to do great things. But here's the truth. If one day my kids are not walking in the truth, 
if one day my children are not allowing Christ to dwell in their lives, it doesn't matter what their degrees are their, or their profession is. We desire to see our kids walk in the truth, and that brings comfort uh, to every parent, and that brings comfort to every pastor. So first, the deposit needed to be guarded because it brought great comfort, but secondly, the deposit needed to be guarded because it presented a great challenge. Verse 6 says, For this reason I remind you to fan into the flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. As Paul wrote uh, to Timothy, he challenged him to not be bound by fear. Uh, essentially, he's letting them know, and I think it's a good word for all of us, that you and I should not have a life that is controlled and marked by timidity and afraidness. We don't want to admit this, but all of us, no matter what, no matter who you are, no matter your gender, your age, all of us are tempted to be fearful. Whether it's with your kids or your job or your finances or your health, every one of us has to fight the temptation of fear. Verse 7 provides for us a good word because it tells us specifically that fear is a spirit. Fear is not just an emotion. The text says it is a spirit. Yes, fear impacts our emotions. Yes, fear can make you ang anxious. It can make you scared. Our fear can make you lose sleep and lose confidence. But in our text, it is letting us know that fear, timidity, and afraidness is a spiritual issue. Now, I think it's important for us to see that because we cannot handle natural issues. With, well, we cannot handle a, a, a spiritual issue in an unspiritual way. If the text is telling us that, that the spirit of fear uh, is need to be, it needs to be addressed spiritually, then you and I need to understand that if I'm going to fix the fear, if I'm going to move past fear, if I'm going to move past timidity, timidity and afraidness in my life, I've got to address it in a spiritual way. Uh, so, so many times in the church, we want to address uh, the fruit of the issue without addressing the root of the issue. The, the, the root of fear is, is a spiritual issue, right? The, the fruit of fear is the anxiety and the afraidness. It is the, the spirit of timidity. That is something that is the fruit, but the root of it is the fact that we are not connected to God in the right way. I want to say this clearly because I don't want you to misquote me. Yes, there are some issues uh, that we need to address with medicine, with counseling. There are some people who deal with psychological issues, but here in the text, the text specifically is speaking about a spiritual issue. I love it because it tells us that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but God has given us a different kind of spirit. The text tells us very clearly, it, it gives us, the spirit gives us three significant uh, ways to live out in our spiritual lives. The first, it says God has given us the spirit of power. A power in the text is dunamis. It is the ability to accomplish whatever task that God has given us to do. The, the scriptures tell us that whatever God calls us to do, God will give you, God will empower you by his spirit to be able to accomplish whatever he's called you to do. It's a reminder that we need the spirit's power, not more talent, not more training, not even more experience, because here's the thing. 
None of those things can take the place of God's power and God's anointing in our lives. The Holy Spirit also gives us uh, love. Um, one commentator says this way. He says, selfishness always leads to fear because if we are selfish, we are interested only in what we will get out of serving God. And if we were only interested in what we would get out of serving God, we would be afraid of losing our prestige or our power or our position or our money. First uh, John chapter number four, verse 18 says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. When you think about that perfect love, it is a love that's from the Lord. And when you think about fear and love together, they cannot hang out because perfect love based on the scriptures will cast out our fear. We will receive the spirit of love. We will receive the spirit of power. But then lastly, it says we have been given self-control. Self-control can also be interpreted as a sound mind. A, a sound mind or a disciplined mind is a mind that is determined that God's view on a matter is the correct view on a matter. A sound mind is a mind that is thinking correctly and it is a mind that is concluded that whatever, ha whatever God has to say about an issue is the final authority on an issue. I do believe that all of us need to be challenged with this idea of what does it really mean in my life to have self-control in a sound mind. That means that whatever God has said, whatever God has concluded about my marriage, about my children, about my finances, about my faith, is the final authority. I, I love that we live in an age of, of social media and people are able to share their opinion. There are great things that come uh, because we are able to express ourselves, we are able to give our opinion and our thoughts, but here's a drawback. Unfortunately, we have come to a place where we think that our opinion and our perspective is the penultimate one. We think that what we have to say is the final word on the issue and when we understand what God has given us in his word, what God has given us in a relationship with Christ, we have got to conclude that my word is not the final word, but God's word, God's perspective, God's design, God's standard, God's ultimate authority is the, the final authority on every issue in my life. So first, the deposit needed to be guarded because it brought comfort. Secondly, the, the deposit needed to be guarded because it presented a challenge. And thirdly, the, the deposit needed to be guarded because it brought great confidence. Verse 8 says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony uh, about our Lord, nor me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of, of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. In verse 7, Paul tells us that we've not been given the spirit of fear, but God has given us power, God has given us love, and God has given us a sound mind. When you, combi when you combine power, love, and a sound mind, I believe you really have godly confidence. We can be godly and confident when we understand ultimately what God has given us. When you combine those things together, God's power, God's love, and God's mindset, then you truly have a person who is unashamed. When you think about the gospel narrative, you think about what Paul is essentially communicating here, 
he's saying, Timothy, my son in the ministry, I'm in chains. I haven't done anything wrong, but don't be ashamed. Don't lose your confidence. Don't lose your hope. My life is not going how I thought it would go. My life is not going how the world would say it should go, but here's the truth. Don't don't lose your confidence. Don't lose your faith. He's telling us in the scriptures at at the end of verse number nine, he says, it is not based upon your performance. He says, it is based upon God's grace, not based upon our works. He's saying, don't be uh, ashamed. He says, be confident in what I have done and accomplished on the cross. He's telling us to be confident because all of us will face the temptation to lose our confidence because the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But for those who have life, it is the power of God. When you think about this passage, I really do believe that there are three very simple applications for us this morning. The band can come on back up. The passage gives us three very specific ways that we can pray for ourselves personally, but how we can pray for our church body corporately. Number one, we need to pray that Christ finds a dwelling place in our life. That we don't want to be Christians who think that Christ has come to slap some paint on the wall, that Christ has come to fix the leak on the roof, but here's the truth. Christ wants to totally transform your life. And in that transformation process, there's going to be some pain. But what God can produce is so much more wonderful, so much more beautiful, and so much more lasting than you could ever imagine. Secondly, after we pray that Christ finds a dwelling place in our lives, secondly, we need to pray that we reject the spirit of fear and accept the spirit of power and of love and a sound mind. We've got to accept that God will empower me to do whatever he's called me to do. That God's love is the greatest motivation in my life and God's mindset is the final authority on every issue in my life. And thirdly, and I'm done, we need to pray for godly confidence. We need to be confident in what Christ has accomplished for us. We need to be confident that the finished work of Jesus has settled my sin debt, but it has also given me a new identity, it has given me a new purpose, and it has given me new passion in my life. What Christ has done is something that you and I should not be ashamed of, because here's the truth, what Christ has done on our behalf is something that you and I could never deserve. We could never earn it, and we would never be able to deserve it, but because of his love for us, God gives it to us because that's how good he is. He's good in that he he looks at our sin and he gives us something that you and I could never, ever deserve. As the, can I get Dukes and Andy to come on up? I want y'all to come on up. And as they pass out the offering, or pass out the, uh, not the offering, the communion, I want them to pass it out, and I'm going to pray. And as I pray, we're going to take a few moments to reflect on those three prayer requests. Christ wanting to dwell, Christ wanting to give us his spirit, and Christ wanting us to be godly and confident. Let me pray for us.
Father, I thank you as we prepare our hearts for communion today. God, I thank you that you have called us, God, to continue, God, to guard what you've been placed in our lives. God, I thank you that when we place our faith and our trust in you, God, you place your spirit inside of us. God, we know that Satan would desire to pluck out everything that you deposit in our lives. God, but help us to protect it, help us to guard it. And God, help us to make room for you to dwell. God, for you to transform every area of our lives. God, help us, God, to move past living in fear. God, but help us to be full of faith. God, help us to be empowered by your spirit. God, help us to live in such a way where we display godly confidence. God, as we get ready to partake in communion, God, I pray that over these next few moments that we would practically search our hearts. God, that you would speak to us about the areas of our life that need to be changed. God, help us, Lord God, to identify the areas of our life that are not aligned to your will and help us, God, to confess those sins to you. God, I thank you, God, that you tell us in your word that before we have this time of communion, that we are to, we are to not enter into it unadvisedly. God, thank you for the finished work of Christ. And God, thank you for the opportunity to celebrate it now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.